Hi, I'm James. And I'm Drew. And welcome to Graphic Support Group, a mindful podcast for the design industry and the self, where empathy and the creative cloud meet. Join us as we delve into the mind and soul of graphic design, from PSDs to PTSD. This is Graphic Support. back for another episode of graphic support group i'm james i'm drew and today we have someone who we hope will be sort of like a kind of like kindred spirit sister kind of you know collaborator um we welcome christelle brinshot from uh hey Sis world and big world energy um she's a multi-hyphenate creative who's starting to carve spaces for bipoc creatives to live and thrive um, I like this part from their website um, that says, we can't count on our hands the amount of burnouts we experience and times we've had to go against what our bodies were telling us in order to maintain a job with fear. We've always known that there are alternative ways to live, but it took developing the Hasis World community to expand our mindsets and truly believe in living as our authentic selves. Um So yeah, welcome, Christelle. Um, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for being What's up guys? Being What's here. up? <laughs> um Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're yeah. really excited about this. It's been in the works kind of like in the background for a while, so we Yeah, we it. have a very very professional um team of me and James that do <laughs> literally everything including responding back to emails like yeah. months later and uh <laughs> figuring out who we want on the podcast and yeah. so sorry if that was a little long-winded but we appreciate that you're uh you're here you yeah. know what that's how we all start that's the secret sauce you got to do everything on your own in the beginning yeah. yep and then you bring on the right people or cool. you could do what i did when i first got to the industry which is pretend that i was five people oh five man different <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah fake it till you Is make that it real? did fake you really you do that yeah i really did <laughs> what were the names um i don't remember but i specifically made sure they were all dudes and <laughs> wow so i was catfishing people um with my first studio the great nordic sword fights like purposely <laughs> didn't put my image and likeness anywhere on the internet. Every photo that I had was blurred because I didn't want people to know wow. that I was a woman. Because unfortunately, you know, I knew even back then at a young age that I was going to be treated differently. So wow. I kind of, yeah, it's wild. Did you have a, like you 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 had like a lot of freelance work through that, and you just like did it all over email and stuff, or what? I had so much so much work coming in pretending to be a guy. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, but, um, you know, you grow out of that. And mm -hmm. I definitely felt a type of way because I wanted to live life freely as myself mm -hmm. in my own identity. So eventually um, I started 
doing interviews and anytime anyone would reach out to us, I'd say, hey, you know what? First and foremost, I'm a woman. I'm a woman of color. Mm -hmm. This is the person that's been directing all your stuff. Um, and I actually have a voice. I have a lot to say. So if you're ready to hear it, here I am. Yeah, we have a few questions about imposter syndrome um, later, which we, we really want to dive into with, with, dive into with you. Um, but just to get things rolling, I think we just told you about a recurring question, but it also aligns, seems to align with what we were going to first ask you, which is, um, can you share an experience from your design career that has affected you emotionally or psychologically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely, uh, trigger warning for anyone that's ever been through burnout because I know that it, it really affects you, um, in an emotional and psychological level. So just a heads up, especially if you're going through this right now. Um, but my turning point in my career, um, was about, gosh, you guys, it's almost been like five years since this happened. Um, but I was what I would say was maybe the peak of my career as a creative director. Um, I had been running a studio, my own studio, for about eight years. Wow. Uh, we were an experimental animation studio. I was getting work all over the tech space, um, you know, working with big agencies and getting my stuff on TV. It was kind of like a dream, right? Being able to get your work seen by so many people all over the place. Um, but, <laughs> uh, as a person who grew up a child of immigrants, I definitely had this mindset back then that I was never working hard enough and I just was never good enough. I was consistently comparing myself to people who had maybe 10 years, you know, of experience ahead of me or just had a jump start in a different way. So, um, I was on route, <laughs> crazy enough, to build and launch another company. And it was an educational company. And I have been working nonstop on this. I'm talking like sleepless nights for months. And the day before, we're supposed to have a huge launch party. Um, it was at the startup space, right? Like, thousands of dollars were put into this. Uh, I literally had a seizure and I passed out. Never oh made God. it to the event. Wow. Never made it to the event. Luckily, um, I was, well, not luckily, but also luckily, I was driving my car on my way to LA in the middle of the night. Uh, my sister was in the passenger seat and um, it was like the whole world just kind of started to cave in and go dark. And I didn't really know what was going on. And I later found out that, that that's a symptom that happens to a lot of people um, before they have a seizure, which is like your body sets off a little alarm slash halo effect. Mm -hmm. um, and I woke up in the hospital, never made it to the <laughs> never made it to wow. the damn event, yeah. never launched the, you know, anything. Um, and I was forced to not look at a screen for the rest of the summer. And wow. anyone that is a designer or any type of digital artist knows how difficult that is. Because if that's your medium of choice, you're being told that you cannot 
use your medium. Right. So I had to completely change my life after that. Um, I went back home. I was screen free. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with my life? Um, because I was out of work for good reason, but I really mm-hmm. had to sit with myself and my emotions and everything that was going on and ask myself, how, how did I get here and mm-hmm. what drove me here? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I found meditation as simple as it sounds. That's really how it started. Uh, I started focusing on meditating five minutes a day, which mm-hmm. is still pretty difficult if you're someone that's always talking to people or always online or whatever you're Mm -hmm. always engaging your senses you're being told to just shut down for a couple minutes every day so it it was through meditation that I healed my brain (laughs) um yeah and then through that experience through that summer um it was kind of like I gave my brain and my mindset a makeover (laughs) Mm. because uh, I began to really understand just how badly all this burnout and imposter syndrome affects not only your mentality, but your actual body, like how Mm. it manifests in your body as sickness, as illness, Mm -hmm. um, knots in in your back, not being able to sleep, like, yeah. whatever, not eating well. And that's when I had to say, you know what? I'm going to change the way that I take care of myself and my creative space mm-hmm. and my creative mental space, because I should not have to be putting my life on the line in order to accomplish work, period. Right. Like right. my life is worth so much more than a deadline. It's so much more than, you know, a company or, um, even like a scholarship or any of those things, right? Like mm-hmm. to be a creative and to be able to put ideas into the world, that's so precious. Mm-hmm. Not ev- not everyone gets to do that or has the opportunity mm-hmm. or the energy to do that. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how Big World Energy was born. It was born cool. from that moment. Cool. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, I also, what I appreciate about the story is that like there was a moment of loss, like, uh, not to get too into it, but we recently had a pitch to us of like someone who went through a pretty difficult decision and the way it was kind of pitched to us was like, oh, this person like had this traumatic experience, but he still won the pitch. And it was kind of like it was just like perpetuating this mythology of like creatives can do it all, which, you know, like, you know, and and I think that we're we're not about that. We're like, you know, there are moments when things break down and we learn from them and, and grow from them rather than just like triumphantly like, you know, yeah. celebrate it. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I really appreciate your story. Yeah, I yeah, agree thanks. with James too. Like, I feel like the admittance, admittance, I don't, is that a word? <laughs> the admitting to it the fact now. that you have to sort of, uh, like, let go of like a lot of the things that you feel like define you and define your career and all these things, even just for a short amount of time is, is like really, really profound. But, um, also I was curious, like, do you, and this is a question that I have that is kind of hard to phrase. My 
my question is, do you think that it validates like, like, is it sort of like the type of thing where you're like, well, now I have big world energy and like, cause I feel like it's similar to what James was saying, where it's like creatives can have it all. It's like, well, if, if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't have this like other thing, but because big world energy is like so positive and more about helping others to see like the light or sort of enlighten people towards this other way of thinking, like it kind of cancels out. But I am curious if you feel like if that story, like, are you almost like appreciative of it in a certain sense? I think before um, when I was curious about creativepreneurship and just being an artist in the industry in general, um, when I was younger, I was coming from a place of like, hey, I have amazing ideas and I want to get things out there and get things done. That's where the energy was coming from. But, you know, and this happens to all of us, right, especially here in America, in the United States, I should say. Um, we get to a place of like, Hey, there's all this other stuff in life that I need to support. I'm really good at this one thing. Maybe I can use this to make money to help me build a lifestyle that I'm happy with. So you have all this pressure all of a sudden on this like magical thing that you have, right? Like this passion. Um, but what happens is if you put too much pressure on that thing, you kind of start to hate it <laughs> or you start to distance totally. yourself or become less of like an emotional experience where like you get to help other people or say what you got to do, whatever it is that's coming to you as a creative um, mm -hmm. person. When I was at that place, I almost like had completely lost my why. Like I had mm. no idea why I started any of this stuff to begin with. I was just like in the rat race. All I was looking at was numbers. All I cared about was who I was going to collaborate with. Like what rapper am I going to reach out to? What influencer mm -hmm. am I going to reach out to? Like I was so sucked into that space. Mm -hmm. I totally had forgot forgotten why I started to make art in the first place. Mm. So when I had that moment of not being able to do anything, that's when you get to realize just how like fucking creative you are because mm. when you have nothing and you've like completely detached from all these resources all you have is yourself and your ideas you start to naturally think differently right. and i think for me in my healing process um because i you know i was working with doctors obviously to look at my brain and i remember mm -hmm. going into my first brain scan and i was like you know um, what's actually going on in there? And like, what are the parts of my brain that make me come up with all these weird ideas? And like, what is that saying about me as a human? Like, what's the connection here? Mm -hmm. And as I started to get more and more curious during my recovery, I started to read all these books just about mind and body connection. And it kind of occurred to me, why do we as creatives that go through not just the industry, but like also in school and just like in our culture in general, like, why are we not talking about this stuff? Mm. Um, and, you know, I stumbled uh, upon this book, which was uh, about meditation mm -hmm. and um, about art. It's a lot about why we as artists are supposed to put out into the world everything that comes to our brain. Mm. And when we disconnect from like why, <laughs> why or like where those ideas come from, then that's when we crash and burn. Wow. So for me, like 
again, before my burnout, I was so caught up in like, how much money am I going to make? Like, who am I going to influence and all these things? Mm -hmm. But after the burnout happened, I was like, you know what? I wasn't even happy. Like Mm -hmm. I looked at photos of myself and I just like, you know, I was in these raggedy ass clothes. (laughs) I, I was eating like bad food. Just my whole lifestyle was completely supporting whatever job I was doing. It was not supporting Mm -hmm. me as the, Mm -hmm. as the entity that's like creating all this cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So now that big world energy is alive, uh, the way that I look at it just in terms of business is that I'm less hard on myself in terms of its growth. So I'm kind of just letting it organically grow. Yeah. Um, the way it should be. And also, you know, it was birthed in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. When I went through my burnout, there was no pandemic. This was like pre, Mm -hmm. pre pan, pre panny. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So in the middle of the pandemic, you know, when I launched the program, I I was hitting all these barriers that I had never even imagined that I would have to, to deal with, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, students that were, breaking down because they were losing um, family members, you know, because of um, COVID, a lot of people that lost their jobs, a lot of people that um, were kind of at a turning point of like, you know, hey, I got this really cool job during COVID because of COVID, but I'm actually even more busy and more burnt out for some reason, even though I'm working at home. So right, right being open to all of these new experiences and, and kind of just like being an open bustle to see like how I can help people based off my own experience. Cause I, I went through a really dark time, you know, um, that's, that's the kind of energy that is fueling, um, this concept. It's no longer like, Hey, you know, what are my numbers like this month? Like I need to do more marketing. I'm not doing enough social media. Like all of that is completely out the window. I'm completely just trusting my gut and I'm putting all my faith into the community because if, when you're doing something different, you can't follow what everyone else has done. You have to look at how everyone else has failed and fallen flat in their face and what type of energy they're attracting. And if you want to attract different types of people, you've got to do things differently. Hmm. So that's the biggest challenge for me um, with Hmm. big world energy. But yeah, like I said, like I'm a completely different person. I I don't (laughs) um, I don't look at like production the same way anymore yeah i (laughs) I really love the what you said earlier just like you lost your why and i just you know there's just something like we i think we always like drew and i struggle with this too but like um the importance of that question and the importance of that word i think is super helpful um to just be reminded of daily um and then i love that like your journey kind of like force you to acknowledge the bodily, the physical consequences of this kind of behavior. So it's like, yeah, like I think, especially like here in Korea, like, like attitudes towards depression are not very educated. And so it's like this mental strength battle, but like, you know, it does take an actual physical toll on your body. So we need to, we need to be very careful. And it also kind of reminds me of our talk with Will Work for Good, um, Carissa Senevitas and Kevin, who has MS, her partner has MS. And, 
you know, they're talking about systems of care in their work and, and how like, you know, they, they, they have to be specifically more careful because Kevin has MS and he can't work or push his body because it will, it, you know, plays tricks on him. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, one thing that I think we were curious about is that like, we see this very uncompromising attitude in the work and we're kind of curious. I think you kind of touched upon it a little bit in that you're trailblazing a new direction, but just like, how do you balance projecting a strong attitude without being defensive? And like, how do you protect yourself and your identity, but then also put yourself out there and promote yourself without like losing your, your core values? Yeah, I think um, the biggest mindset shift that I had to make when I am producing work is that it cannot come from ego. Um, And I know, like, I talk about this a lot with my friend Ali, who you guys also had on the podcast. Um, It's so important when you are putting work out into the world that before it gets out there, no matter what it is, maybe it's just an Instagram post. Maybe it's like, like a little poster, whatever you're creating something. Um, If you're going to say something that means something, then make sure that that moment is not about you because once it's about you, then that's when you start to get defensive. Then that's when people slide into the DMS, which inevitably that's what happens when you're doing something new and challenging Um, people are going to have questions or a certain attitude about it. And you have to come from a place of compassion because again, like, even though I am coaching, I'm also aware that a lot of the things that I'm teaching might be things that people haven't talked about ever in their lives. And it's going to be painful, especially when it comes to the decolonization work um, and having conversations with other BIPOC people and even Latinx people in my own community, like that's a really tough conversation to have, especially if you are an immigrant and you've left the motherland and you Mm -hmm. have adopted American culture and you're, you know, the way that you see the world is way more um, Americanized. That's a really challenging mindset to all of a sudden jump back into. But I think it is important, um, especially for BIPOC people to reconnect with their roots because it reveals so much about why you're creative in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It reveals so much about um, why so many BIPOC people have this inclination to want to help others. Hmm. Like a lot of it comes back to um, your culture, like your ancestral culture. And if you have these feelings, like they're not coming just randomly out of nowhere. Like it's, it's usually there for a reason. So, you know, um, I've definitely been very, the past couple of years been outspoken about um, my burnout and about my burnout recovery and all these things that I'm learning. And I do get a lot of backlash from the community Mm. because again, um, and I'm sure you can relate to this being in Korea, but there is this idea that you're never working hard enough. You know, if you, if you're not working, then you're lazy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take a moment of rest, you don't deserve that moment of rest until you've worked 16 hours today. And then you, you know, you can have your cookie. Um, before colonization, y'all, we were chilling. We were chilling 
hard. We had like beautiful lives. We were farming. We mm-hmm. were making clothes. Money didn't even exist. Like it was just a whole other way of life. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I'll meet someone that kind of has it figured out. Mm-hmm. And I get so inspired. And that's the kind of thing, the energy that I bring back into my coaching program. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, uh, it really is a, a mindset reset that I'm that I'm mm. trying to help people do. But absolutely, I get people that um, are just not ready to hear it. And that's okay. Right. Everyone has yeah. their own timeline. I- Graphic support group, how may I assist you? <sighs> I'm freaking out. I don't know. I'm feeling really out of touch with design, and my career feels stale. I, I want to keep exploring, but I don't know where to seek inspiration, what work I want to do, or who I even am anymore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. This sounds serious, but I think I might be able to help. Have you thought of taking a sabbatical? <sighs> I can't take a year off from work. That's for rock stars. Good point. Might I suggest you apply to grad school? Grad school? For graphic design? Yes. Grad school is a great way to take your thinking and skills to the next level. Would you like to explore some options? Well, how much does a program like that cost? I don't have 100 k just lying around. Good point. Grad school is fairly expensive. Hmm. I may have something for you. Yes. Here it is. Yes. Okay. This is what I was looking for. Vermont College of Fine Arts MFA in Graphic Design. It's a low residency program designed to help designers like you. I think it could be a really wonderful solution to help you refocus your creative energies on yourself without having to sacrifice your life or bank account. Really? This sounds too good to be true. Please tell me more. Do you think it could help me recalibrate my creative energies? Well, VCFA is an individual-focused program where the institution's world-class faculty works with you one-on-one throughout the semester from wherever you reside. They then gather twice a year for one-week residencies, where all of the students are able to share and make work in an intimate and intensive environment. Hmm. So what goes on outside of the residency? What happens throughout the rest of the semester? Well, that's the interesting part. You're able to build a budding design practice steeped in history, theory, and studio work in your own space and on your own schedule. It's a mix of self-study and robust guided advising. It's perfect for somebody like you. Wow, that does sound pretty ideal for me. You know, just the right balance of challenge and discipline. Sounds pretty cool. It is. You will join a vibrant community of artists, educators, and practitioners who are all looking to grow their individual design practices. The residencies allow for close exchange with both faculty members and students. Plus, your network of creatives will grow dramatically and internationally. You'll be joining a community of passionate creators who will support you, and you'll gain discipline in your career because you'll be doing it on your own terms, on your own schedule. Plus, the one faculty to four student ratio allows for a really close-knit experience, along with the ability to choose your advisors. Wow, that all sounds great. And you're sure I don't have to move to Vermont? Yes, you're able to pursue your creative endeavors while staying right where you are. That's amazing. How do I apply? You can apply and find out all the information you'll need by visiting vcfa.edu. If you have any questions, their offices are just an email or phone call away. Wow. Thanks, GSG. I knew I could count on you. No, thank you. We're always here for you. Support is what we do.
Full disclosure, James Shea is a visiting faculty member at VZFA. This is a paid advertisement. I did have a question related to that, too, which is, like, do you feel like what you're kind of teaching and, like, the sort of perspective you're you're um, helping people understand is mutually exclusive from working within, like, the, the power structures of design and creative world? Because I I think, like, I'm trying to figure out how you could do both simultaneously because I think on the one hand, it's like, yeah, you, you like focus on yourself and you like sort of unlearn a lot of things and you recalibrate and you start doing things your own way and building your own network and building your own community. But then some people might still be relying on these like higher powers or whatever, these structures that are already in place. Like, what do you say? I'm sure a lot of people who come to the coaching are like working at like corporate companies or, Absolutely. you know, in these st- stuffy environments, like, how do you reconcile those two things? And what do you say to people who have to, who don't feel like they can like extract themselves from the structures? Yeah. I'm just curious about it. No, that's a really great question because a lot of students that start the program, that's the kind of mindset that they have. Um, and I think it's really important to first of all, realize that Sometimes when you are in a corporate environment that doesn't align with your values, you have to make the very difficult decision to say, all right, I am aware. I am fully aware where these people are coming from. I don't want to go there. And that's totally okay. I have the choice to make a plan to either leave or I can make the choice to change how many fucks I give about this job you always have a choice. And I think, uh, especially when it comes to your mental health, because so many students come to me and they're saying, I've been here for five years. I've been here for 10 years. Um, I feel stuck. You know, my self-esteem is really low. Um, my imposter syndrome is through the roof. Listen, every job is like a relationship. You have to look at it that way. And just like in any relationship, There are power structures, but ultimately, because you are part of this relationship, you are allowed to say your piece and say what it is that you would like out of this relationship. And if you don't get the same, um, you know, energy in return, then you should know there should be an alarm inside of you that says, I do not belong here. And that's when the real work starts, because now that you have realized that you shouldn't be in the space, then you got to do the work to say, okay, well, they weren't happy with me. I'm going to find a place that deserves to have me, deserves to have me and my skill set and everything that I am. And I'll go there and then see what happens there. So, yeah, I mean... I get that some people feel that they're stuck and maybe are relying on a situation, but I think the first step, because not everyone, you know, has the ability to just quit and, and go do something on their own. Right. Right. Like that's especially in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the most 
powerful thing you could do is not give up like every single part of yourself mm. to a company or a business. You have mm. to almost compartmentalize your feelings and your identity at work. So it's almost yeah. like I tell a lot of my students um, that you're when you're in this state, right? You know that you're not like in the right place, but you got to survive. You're in a survival state. Yeah. Don't put your whole self into the space. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, all the amazing best parts of yourself. Keep keep that energy for whatever is next. But when you're in this place, give as like minimal fucks as you can. Literally, like yeah. give 25 percent if that's all they deserve of you, yeah. um, because you're allowed you're allowed to do that. And we live mm-hmm. in a country where you are allowed to do that. Right. <laughs> no one has yeah. to know. <laughs> no one has to know. But you are allowed to do that. So yeah. please take advantage of that. There's <laughs> obviously <laughs> consequences to doing that. Um, and I do think it's like I've you know, I was talking to uh, somebody recently who's very successful, like top of his game creative i'm not going to name names but like he was saying the same thing he's like you know um just give the minimum that you can kind of like check out but then it's also like for me that doesn't work like it it, i can't because because it's too obvious like i think i can't fake it or something you know like it's also like a resetting of your value system in a way because Mm -hmm. as you were saying like you know you know drew and i come from you know we come from like backgrounds where like hard work is very valued and like, you know, like in- industriousness is, is like a big part of your moral character. And so like suddenly you're like being told or like for your own survival, you're kind of having to like scale back a little bit. But I think, you know, at, at first when I, I heard you talking, it was kind of like, Oh, she's like trying to get us to slack. And we can slack. But I think actually it's more like conserving your energies and readjusting your expectations, right? It's like I, I'm i not going to like sacrifice myself for this relationship, but that doesn't mean yeah. I'm, this, I'm less passionate. Like I can channel right, right. my energy into other passions. I think what it comes down to that I that is the hard part that I'm, wor- I'm wondering if you have an answer to this is when mm-hmm. – Say you're at somewhere like Facebook, for instance, where the whole ethos is sort of like cult-like. Mm-hmm. It's sort of designed to get you to buy in to what it is. And like, if you're not bought in, you can't really operate within the space because it's the structure is created as a kind of like feedback loop. So it's like, you know, they have all the food there. They have all this stuff. They have all these perks. It sort of like gets you in and then you you have to like sort of like give yourself over to it um, in order for it to support you. You need to like support it in, in this sort of cyclical way. And so when you're like 25% in, you're like sort of removing yourself from this culture that they've created. And then it's very obvious to everyone around you that you're like this sort of weak link or that you're like kind of missing a piece that's vital to the success of this organization. Right? Like that's the part where I'm like, wondering is this a temporary fix and then it's like you decide you know you have to move on or are you saying that there's because some people were saying like you should always have like this day job that like pays your bills um, but you don't have to give like all of yourself to it but i think it's becoming a lot easier for people to be like oh like you're not invested in this culture you're not invested in this 
and that's a that's what is being asked of people at jobs now like i feel like the pandemic broke that down a lot but now it's coming back because it's like it's sort of like this like rippling effect where it's like well now we're back in the office and now we can have all these things and now i can see that you're not you know as present as you should be or i can see that you didn't come to xyz it's almost like people care more in a certain way um so yeah what is there a response that uh, this long-winded question <laughs> is there any response that you have like to that in any way i guess yeah you still have a choice <laughs> um i think well first of all you're not alone um, there are so many people that are asking themselves the same thing. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, a it's capitalism. That's what it's built to do. It's built to, um, make sure that you are completely reliant on it and also built to instill fear in you so that you never leave the system. So once you are hyper aware of that, a lot of these feelings of anxiousness kind of start to, you know, release themselves. And that's step one. You want to get to a place where you're saying, you know what, I am participating in this, but as long as my why aligns somewhere in the space, then I'm just going to focus on that. And I'm going to pull in everyone that I possibly can around me to help support my why. So for example, mm -hmm. let's say you are working at Facebook. You don't like, you don't necessarily um, want to be that person that's like going out to happy hour and like, you know, and blah, 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 like enjoying your, enjoying, <laughs> forcing yourself um, to hang out with people that you don't want to, which it's true. That's corporate culture. Like that's what they want you to do. They want you to just like, be be a part of every single aspect of this culture that we they created um but you can definitely be that kind of person that if again if you want to stay at facebook right if your why aligns with facebook somewhere but you just don't necessarily like the culture you can be the person that says you know what i don't like doing these things but i do love these things and i'm going to do like a badass job at it that's if you want to stay mm. there. Because mm. for me, when I have been in corporate environments and I am that person, like I have no fear being that girl in the room that's like, you know what? Like, I'm sorry, y'all go do your thing, but I, I'm here to produce like amazing work and I love this opportunity that I'm at. And like, we'll, you know, we'll kiki when we're in the office and that's about it. Um, yeah. Just know that there's there's always a way but the answer to any of this stuff is that you got to figure out what your why is like why are you doing everything that you do because that's ultimately what's going to help you make these major major decisions if you're just floating around like I was before my burnout right like I was just like hey I just got a job that's paying me a hundred K. Wow. That's so amazing. I'm not going to sleep for a month. <laughs> you know, I'm going to skip showers. Yay. Like I am not that person anymore. And I really hope that when I am coaching people that you will never go back to that place because you're so much more than that. You are so much more than that. Like creative people build everything in society, everything, 
everything is it started with some idea in a creative person's mind. Mm. So for you to not value that and for you to not be respected at a, at a company as big as Facebook, which I guess we should be calling it meta, but whatever. Um, <laughs> also, for, I'm, for I do not work walk, at Facebook. Yeah, like for you to walk into a space and, and not have people notice who you are because you are you know, this genius that they're so blessed to have you on their floor. Like maybe you shouldn't be there. Hmm. You like, you should be in a place where you feel like you not only have creative freedom, obviously a job's a job. Everyone's got to, you know, work hard, but you need to have the creative freedom to have your um, ideas heard, but also you need to be respected as a human being. Like there should be no feelings of um, guilt because mm-hmm. you're not like stressing out with the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah. I think that's BS. I think that's a good question. Another follow up. Sorry, I feel like I'm hogging the interview right now. But no worries. <laughs> for for the, the hard work thing, it's like mm-hmm. what you even just now when you say that, it's like you can do you and blah, 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 but you have to work hard. What I think people don't know what that means i personally don't know what it means like i feel like i i'm an efficient person i've always been somebody who's like kind of tried to figure out how to do something the most efficient way possible and i think that's been frowned upon a lot in in a lot of the places i've been Mm. including grad school including some of my jobs that i've had where it's like oh you're not spinning your wheels tirelessly tirelessly like you're not blacked out because you're like (laughs) you're exhausted like you're not working hard yeah. So, like, what does it what does right. it mean to work hard, like in your eyes? And what does it mean to say I'm not gonna? No, I'm not gonna do a, a 7 a.m. meeting because I'm on the West Coast. And like, I know people who have who have who have meetings at like 6 a.m. because they're on the West Coast. And like, no one's gonna fly them out to like New York to do the meeting in person. And it's like, uh, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, is that not is hard work? work? Yeah, what is hard work? For me, hard... Okay, this is a new concept, so just sit with me. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. hard work is the energy that you put into accomplishing your big why. So Mm. if your big why is, let's say... um, All right, different... Kind of similar, but different scenario. You're working at Meta. You're like, all right, I'm making all this money. But what I really want to do is that I want to start my own fashion label. That's your mission, right? But that your big why is I have something to say in the fashion industry. And like, I have to say it no matter what, how are you going to develop a system in your creative life to help support that? Why you give the, the no fucks 25% at meta you take all that money and you reinvest it into this idea that you actually give a shit about. So what you're doing is your hard work is redirecting that energy towards what it is that you actually want. It's it. And listen, it's going to be different for everybody because for yeah. me, when, when I'm coming from a place of inspiration and I'm pumped about what it is that I'm working on, sometimes I am awake till the sun comes up, but you know, that there's no feeling of dread. There's a feeling of like, 
holy shit, I just accomplished all this stuff. I feel so good. I'm going to reward myself with like, you know, a lavender latte. I'm going to call my friends. We're going to get breakfast and celebrate. <laughs> like yeah. the energy is high. You mm-hmm. feel elevated. But when you're working for something and you're putting all your energy and you're putting your health on the line onto something that A, you don't believe in, but also B, is um, taking more from you than you should. And it's making you compromise your morals and your ideals and, and anything about who you are. And it leaves you really drained. That hard work, that is not good for you. That's a mm-hmm. no-no. Right. Um, and so it's so important to build boundaries, Mm. major, major working boundaries, major, major workplace boundaries. And I think we're in a place right now, especially after COVID, um, where it's becoming more and more normalized to walk up to your boss or HR or whatever and say like, Hey, y'all been working me to the bone you are not allowed to do this <laughs> uh, based off of XYZ. Um, give me a break or change my hours or, hey, you know what? I can't wake up at 6 a.m. because I'm not able to do the work because I'm feeling like total crap. And I, I won't be able to execute what you guys want me to do. So change the meeting or I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Just remember that that. You, you deserve to be at the negotiation table of like your own creative career, no matter where you are, whether you're running your own business or you're at a major, major company, that doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, we're all just people at the end of the day. Like we all have traumatic experiences. Like (laughs) we're all humans um, that make mistakes and do cool things. So we need to normalize like recognizing that with one another. And if other people are not doing it for you, then you start doing it. Whatever space you're in, you start exercising that. And if people don't appreciate that and like say worst case scenario, they let you go. Like, look at that as a redirection. Look at that as a blessing because Mm -hmm. you were maybe that place was hella toxic and, you know, it was stressing you out and, most of the times you guys, when I'm working with creatives that are in toxic work environments where like when they finally get fired or let go, it's almost like they're breathing for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when, you know, that's when, you know, it was supposed to happen. And for most people, they knew when they needed to go. It's just that they were so scared. They're so yeah, scared right, right. of that moment. But once the moment happens and you're like, wait a second, like I should have done this years ago. I should have done this years ago. And it's like, you know, the curtains open up and like, you know, the doves start flying and like all that stuff. Well, I think, I think also like the, the, the thing that I want to kind of stress here that you mentioned is that like capitalism puts us in relationships where work is driven by fear and scarcity. It's like, I, we don't have, we, we're not in a system where like, Yes, like entrepreneurs can, but like it's still within the system. Like it's not self-sustaining. It's built for dependence. And, you know, like that is being abused. And I think what's great about your message and this importance of why is like reinvesting in what it is that you're getting out of the system and for what, what, you know, what purpose, because 
otherwise, because I think that's sort of like the myth of the hard work for, for, especially from like an immigrant standard where you're trying to assimilate into the society. It's like you're working hard to fit in rather totally. than working hard to invest for, to fight for your space and to fight for your place and, and, and being allowed to create that. And like, you know, like there's various versions of that, but I think that's something that we're, um, not reminded of enough that like we're actually being, um, coerced to work rather than encouraged. Like oftentimes that's like how it's told to us, but you know, it's not our company at the end of the day. And you know, that's not, yeah. I'm saying that everyone should be an entrepreneur, but like just remind yourself of that, the, the relationships, like the conditions of the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing with being um, an immigrant or the child of immigrants, um, you're not only, in many cases, not just at this job for you. Like, you're at this job to support, like, a whole other generation of people. And so there's more pressure on your back to succeed. But I think that, again, once you start reconnecting with why you're doing everything in the first place, um, you will start to empower yourself to make choices that are not only great for you, but they're great for the next generation. And so, you know, for me personally, like I come from a long line of indigenous people and for the longest time in my career, I completely hid that part of my identity from everyone because whenever I would kind of sneak a little information in there, it was met with like, or like, I don't really know about this. I don't really want to have a conversation about this. So I completely like shut that whole part of myself down. But doing that type of weird, like emotion, like, um, it's almost like cultural gaslighting, you know, you're literally like gaslighting yourself, um, and blocking yourself. That causes stress and that leads to burnout. So mm-hmm. BIPOC people and Im- immigrants and children of immigrants have a very particular type of burnout because we're putting on this like fake persona. You know, it's like my sister always says, like you put on the Mickey Mouse suit, right? And, <laughs> and like, no, nobody's going to like, you know, tell Mickey Mouse to get out of the room because he's like having right. a good time. And like, you know, oh my God, he's so friendly and like, whatever <laughs> he, he's non-threatening. So we're right. all wearing the Mickey Mouse suit. And then when we're done and we get home, then we take it off and we can be ourselves. But think about doing that for years and years and years, what that does to your psychology, to your self-confidence, like that absolutely contributes to imposter syndrome that absolutely leads so many BIPOC people into burnout. Just that, because it's another survival method that you have to Mm -hmm. layer on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so important when you are um, entering the workforce that you find leadership that looks like you and understands the type of experiences that you've been through um, so that they can be a lot more aware when you are reaching the burnout point. Mm -hmm. And um, listen, I know that in most, in most cases, like in the creative industry specifically um, I think I read the numbers last year, which I highly encourage everybody if you just want to know about this, but um, there's a a government website um, that takes a census of 
basically all the ethnicities and the makeup for the creative industry. It's like the National uh, Bureau of Labor, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I got to look it up again. Um, <clears throat> but you can go in there and say and see specifically like what what percentage of the industry are women, are um, Asian, are Hispanic, are black, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's grim in there. <laughs> so I, I always say, you know, in my coaching classes, like, y'all, you're being so hard on yourselves. Look at these numbers. Yeah. Like you are you are one of the three percent of people that decided to like put all this energy and effort into finding success in the creative space. Mm -hmm. Like you yourself are a trailblazer just for mm -hmm. being yourself in these spaces. Like yeah. whenever you're feeling tired or being too hard on yourself, take a moment to really just see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Like celebrate, celebrate your wins. Yeah. You deserve to be here. Yeah. Rest your eyes. They have seen a lot. From high contrast patterns to pastel color blocks, they have been working hard, and they deserve a break. It is important to give them space to breathe, to look beyond the screen, and appreciate the natural colors around you. While you are away from the pixels, You'll discover inspiration everywhere you turn, and will be ready and rested to bring new color into your work. I just want to kind of kind of like maybe go in a slightly different direction, but you mentioned that you're, you're indigenous background and I wanted to, you know, first preface as such as this question with something that I found really beautiful. Cause I worked with a, a student who is of Cherokee descent um, on her MFA thesis this past semester at VCFA. Uh, but she has this great, um, thing in her abstract says graphic design is an ancient craft dating back to the creation of Turtle Island before our written Cherokee language was invented our ancestors used graphic design to communicate our most treasured creation stories many of our pre-contact artifacts found in caves burial sites in our ancient cities include shell fragments be bearing symbolic carvings or logos that relate to our spiritual beliefs creation and origin stories in everyday life since time immemorial we have relied on visual communication to convey ideas and messages and to document our histories. We use similar methods of, methods of visual communication today, including logos, typography, crafts, and colors. We cannot ignore our historical use of graphic design when designing for current and future generations. We must interweave historical and contemporary practices to honor the past and preserve the future. Um, I love that like she kind of like, you know, put it in her own terms and also like was like generous enough to like connect her lineage uh with the things that we kind of take for granted today um so i was just kind of curious like what your journey has been as a, being an indigenous creative and like 
Um, like for example, like Monique, she gave her thesis presentation last week, but also at the same time, like Oklahoma was like dismantling their hunting rights and, and taking away all these, you know, ways of living basically. Um, and just like how you kind of, yeah. How do you kind of stay persevere amidst like so many forces working against you, even though they might not be directly related to your creative life? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, like I said, for many years, I try to distance myself from my identity and a lot, and I wasted a lot of time not being connected, um, to my family members and all these stories that really like Mm. make up my lineage. Mm -hmm. And so right now I'm in the state of reconnecting with all of that. Like I spent pretty much the last year visiting, family members and interviewing them and, and asking them like, Hey, I know we haven't seen each other in like 15, some of them 20 years, but mm-hmm. I want to know like the story about my grandparents. Like I want to mm-hmm. know like what our land was like and what did everybody do? Um, and for me, like I'm on that journey and I share that part of my journey in the work that I do. For example, the big world energy branding, like all of that was based off of everything that I had learned from my Mayan heritage and um, my mom's uh, Cheyenne Native American. So I'm, I'm a mixed race indigenous person. <laughs> it's a very complex identity to have because yeah, totally. some of yeah. your, two of your family um, trees are from two totally different countries, but then they found each other in the United States. Right. Because that's, that's obviously in, when it was Turtle Island, there were no borders. So everybody lived everywhere. Um, and it was the Americas. And so there weren't, you know, st- there weren't states that belonged to like certain tribes, like tribes moved around everywhere. So I'm a mixed race indigenous person. Um, but yeah, back to like the branding of Big World Energy, like I, I, really wanted to work with other people that shared um, my understanding of decolonization, decolonizing design specifically. Um, so like, you know, the person that did my logo, she's also um, Mexican. And her thesis was about decolonizing fonts. So she specifically, cool. you know, took references um from uh, Mexican culture and nature and all these things. And we made something that really doesn't belong on the grid. So the big world energy logo is just like so awkward and like um, messy and organic, but like it's, it says everything that I wanted to say, which is like, it's okay to be messy. It's okay to be ever changing. Like it's okay to embrace no straight edges and, it's okay to not belong on the grid because we don't <laughs> like that's, that's the history of who we are. The grid um, was forced upon you. The grid was forced upon us. It totally yeah. was. And you know, like when you are a colonized person, you not only carry the blood of <laughs> the colonists, but also the colonizers. So that's mm-hmm. also like this weird mind trip. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know I'm not the only person that's like on the journey to discover where we came from, like originally, but also like find a way to love all different parts of yourself because yeah. some parts inevitably like 
it's really challenging, especially when you're with your family. Like every, everyone comes out looking differently. And yeah. depending on where you live, especially in America, like family members are treated very differently. So mm-hmm. it's all complex, but yeah. um, I embrace that complexity. Yeah. I think that's what makes us like so cool. <laughs> I I think that's actually a really nice segue back to our conversation about imposter syndromes. Like, and you yeah. mentioned that like kind of, you know, discovering your indigenous roots are, is a recent thing. So, um, yeah, I'm curious about your journey, both like as a, as a, a woman designer and, you know, as you shared earlier, like having to hide your femininity and your gender and, and kind of mask that. But then also like, I can relate this to this too. Like I remember, you know, as a Korean American, like we just didn't have that much culture coming from Korea that was like exciting. It all felt like derivative. And I, you know, I now understand that period of, you know, copying much better now. But, you know, I remember there were times where I was like, I don't want to be Korean. I want to be Japanese. And like, you know, like this like vicious cycle of the colonizer, literally, you know, you know, telling me that I was, my culture is not valid enough and feeling guilty about it and denying it. And, you know, just like, I'm just curious, like how your journey has been in acknowledging those different parts of yourself as you're working through your imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, well, I would say the summary of what I learned where my imposter syndrome came from specifically, like as a person with a complex identity was, Um, I, after my burnout and I looked back at my career, um, I was almost blind to the fact that I was 90% of my career, the only woman of color in these spaces and not just woman of color, sometimes the only person of color period. And, um, I, as a defense mechanism, created all these masks, you know, to just like exist in these spaces, but was never really like a hundred percent myself because if I ever was myself and I was like, you know, open and honest about who I was in my culture, it's just like either nobody wanted to hear it or they felt, um, like I was just trying to grab somebody's attention for no reason. And then being a, a woman on top of all of this, it makes it way more complicated. Um, especially when I was doing work in the tech space, like uh, something that not too many people know is like, I've been fired from every single job in my career, every single job. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, you can imagine what that does when to someone that is experiencing imposter syndrome, because you begin to think that it's you, but when you really take a moment to, first of all, like you need to be in a really like supportive space in order to get to this realization. So like anyone that is going through what I have gone through, like find a really good therapist, find like one amazing friend, just one really, really good friend to lean on to have these like, you know, conversations. But like, ultimately, my imposter syndrome was because I, I was not a white person. I was a person of color in white spaces, feeling hella oppressed, but just did not want to see that. (laughs) When I finally saw that, it was almost like, 
I started to look at my imposter as like this little like evil character that I could just say no to. So I kind of added this little persona to my imposter. So now when an imposter starts like talking to me and being like, you shouldn't do this. Like you don't belong here. Like it's never going to happen. Then I just kind of go like flick them away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know, with BIPOC people, um, I think because we, uh, especially if we're like in spaces where there are a lot of white people that are going through imposter syndrome, their imposter syndrome is coming from a totally different place because um, culturally, like at least in my experience, like as a coach and like being a creative director, you know, in the industry, it's like their imposter syndrome is coming from, you know what? I don't think I'm skilled enough. I don't think that I'm doing enough. I don't think that I'm working hard enough. And, you know, maybe there could be truth to that. Maybe, maybe there isn't. But specifically with people of color that are used to existing in oppressive places, like their imposter syndrome is coming from them not being themselves, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. And, you know, in some way, like we actually are, um, we are imposters because we are pretending to be somebody else. But as soon as you become yourself and you're, you know, feeling like attacked or you're feeling like belittled, like it's so hard to get yourself out of that headspace of like, oh, like I'm not maybe I'm not actually good enough. Like maybe, you know, they're not giving me this work because like, you know, I suck for whatever reason. But I'm just here to say, like, if anyone's listening to this and going through that right now, like it's not you. It's 100 percent not you maybe there's a tiny you know one percent of people that are actually just like (laughs) not doing things right and but for the most part um any BIPOC people that are experiencing workplace trauma and have imposter syndrome as a result of that like it's not you in these situations how how do you uh bounce back like and how do you remind yourself this like especially as it's happening like um because that's one thing that i feel like is hard for people to recognize too it's like i mean looking back you've probably done so much work to try to like move past those feelings but i'm sure at the time it was like incredibly debilitating and also i think one of the things that contributes to that outcome is probably the feeling of being oppressed and then that making you not as motivated and not as hardworking as you would otherwise be. So, um, yeah, I'm curious if that, if you can speak a little bit more to the, some of the specifics of the situations, but also like how you bounce back from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, part of my process was, again, it all comes down to the why, right? (laughs) Um, having a really good why, like my why was so big that I looked back at all these experiences and I was like, I think that happened to make me stronger so that I could get to the why, because I, I know that at some point I'm going to have to face some really huge demons. And I am right now in my career, which is, um, I embrace it. Like I, now I, now I embrace like, these moments where I get to argue with huge companies or I get to talk to CEOs face to face and let them know, you know, what they're doing wrong. 
um, and how they could change because my why ultimately is to change the creative industry. Like mm. we've been functioning like this for way too long. Um, there's really no reason to, because I truly believe that anyone that has a creative soul or creative mind, you know, they were kind, gentle, gentle kids. Like, I don't think that anyone's coming from a place of hurt and generally wants to like, you know, wish harm on the world. I feel like every artist wants to do something special, big or small for the world. So you know, my, my big why, like my ultimate why, and like whatever it is that I do is I want to transform the creative industry. So if I need to go through a couple of crazy traumatic experiences, um, if anything, that's teaching me what other people are going through. And it gives me opportunities to try things, you know, that I've been thinking about in my head, um, to see if like it works out. Right, <laughs> For example, right. the 25% thing that happened because I was in a job situation and I was just like, you know what? I am so freaking tired. Let me take, this is true. <laughs> okay. I was like, let me spend one hour, just do my work. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time having coffee at the park. And just like enjoying my day, looking at the butterflies, like having the best day. And then I'll come back and check in with my boss. And you know what? It it made no difference between the day that I was killing myself and then the day that I enjoyed myself. So I was just like, I cracked the code. Like I, I need to like share this with other people so that they're not killing themselves at work because what for? And And the thing is like, once you start doing that, like, and your mindset completely changes to the point where you're, you're only searching for opportunities where you can do that, but you're also searching other people that believe in the same way of living. So now most of my professional relationships are not with people that are like, let's rise and grind. Let's hustle because you're like, I ate that up. I used to eat that up, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, or like sleep is for the week. Like, nah, <laughs> fuck that. Like nine hours of sleep, baby. Like I am feeling like a diamond when I wake up, you know, <laughs> but all of my, all of my work relationships, um, they're so much more positive and like, I'm in a place in my career where I can call up friends that are CEOs of big companies and they're telling me that I need to chill out. Like mm -hmm. I need to slow down. I need to stop because your brain is the biggest asset as a creative. And if you're not taking care of, of the health of your brain and your mind, um, good luck. Jeffrey. I'm currently a graphic design student uh, from the Bay Area. And so I want to share that. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of pressure of like getting a job after undergrad. And like, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I don't really feel like I'm there yet. And like, other people are like, so much better. And I don't know. I've been told to focus on myself. And, like, focus on my goals. But, I don't know, the question is, like, how can I, like, 
expand my knowledge and help me get there. But I don't know. Some of those questions are really vague. And yeah, I was wondering if you have any advice on like, how to deal with depression. Yeah, that's about it. Thanks. Hey, Jeffrey. Thanks for calling. Um, we understand where you're coming from completely because we've bit, definitely both been there. Um, James, did you have anything to start off for Jeff? Yeah, I mean, Jeff, we definitely appreciate your honesty. And again, as Drew said, we've both been there. And I guess I can start a little bit off from my personal experience. I've been exactly in your shoes. I was a senior at RISD and the whole year, to be frank, I had stomach issues and it was getting the stress was getting to my health. But one positive thing that came out of that for me was like, it really helped me realize that I had certain values about my work and where I wanted to work. And, you know, even though stress and like anxiety over that uh, was not pleasant, it was definitely like affirming. Yeah, I think for me it was a kind of similar thing and and honestly every time I do want to switch jobs or or try to figure out my next thing in life, I feel the same sense of pressure. So it doesn't really go away. It, it it's more that you have to re reground yourself and re reestablish your own values and personal goals. And those things can be what drive you forward. Um and by communicating those values and those goals, once you have a better understanding of them to those around you, you will be in a better position to inspire people around you to want to help you, to want to show you the ropes, to want to connect you to people who might be able to uh, mentor you. Uh, and I think it's just more about the shifting in perspective from a sort of desperation, which I know is easy to slip into. Um, to a kind of openness to what is available to you, which is a lot. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of studios, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of examples of the type of thing that you probably want to do out there and you just need to find them, identify them and make contact with them. Totally. Um, and that can help a lot. Yeah. I definitely would echo what Drew's saying about listening to yourself and also really like reaching out because you'll be surprised how many people are out there willing to talk to you, willing to give you advice, willing to kind of um, sympathize with you because we've all been there. And I know that doesn't really make it any easier from your personal perspective, but it does maybe give you a sense of community and maybe can lead to some possibilities. Um, so definitely taking those steps to reach out and, kind of listen to your your voice and look for those opportunities that seem relevant to you and are important to you at the time because as Drew is saying like it it never really goes away we're always striving for something else but you know we have to find different avenues in ways to find out what that thing is for us at that moment mhm mm and uh, and to echo that i would also say like I heard in your question a lot of like comparison to those around you, which is totally normal, especially in an academic 
setting where you are kind of pit against one another as a graduating class who maybe people are trying to look to find the next person to hire. Although I'm not really entirely sure how how much anybody really cares about that in the working world. I thought it was a little bit more like obvious than it was, but I would say comparing yourself to others is just not helpful generally. I mean, you can learn from those around you by saying, oh, I I liked the way that that person did their website, or I love the way that this person talks about their work. But I think viewing it as a more of, oh, that's something that inspires me and finding things that inspire you as as opposed to things that make you feel small or less good. Uh, So again, it's just more of a perspective shift. And the perspective can be being honest with yourself. I have a lot to learn. I I don't know that I'm ready to have the job that I want. And then making a goal and setting your expectations and being honest to yourself and those around you about that. I mean, if you meet somebody who's like kind of an, a mentor figure and idol to you in some capacity, you can sort of just communicate these things to them. And I think the honesty and the kind of wisdom of the self-awareness can actually be a positive because nobody wants to talk to like a young person who thinks they know everything there is to know and thinks that they are, you know, a gift to that, to the, whoever's hiring them. I mean, some people fall for that, but I don't think that's really sustainable. Totally. And it might actually not be good to be so to peak so early and (laughs) kind of, uh, potentially, not put forth forth as much effort in growing at a younger age. Yeah. I would also, I mean, this may not work for you, but it is an example because you didn't mention pressure, but um, there is this duo that there, I don't think they're a duo anymore, but Anton Pearson and Adam Garcia used to run this duo called the pressure is good. Um, So there is that perspective of kind of like channeling that pressure into something productive something exciting um it doesn't work for everyone but i just want to throw that out there um there are ways to kind of channel that anxious anxiety energy into your work or you're you're looking for new avenues looking for new um opportunities so it's not all bad yeah i think as long as you focus on the ways that you definitely feel like you need to improve, say the basics of typography layout, like these sorts of classic design principles. That's really all you need to keep working on. And then the other aspect is just developing a a sort of confidence in the process and finding a niche or a set of um, sort of skills or, or specific points of view that you have that you can bring to whatever you're doing. Um, and I'm sure it's there already. It's just, you haven't defined it for yourself yet. So it could be good to sort of like write it all out. And there's an episode of this podcast uh, early on with Soam Bot, and he wrote a letter to his parents explaining what he wanted to do with his life. Uh, it's pretty insightful and helpful. I think if you were to go back and listen to one of the episodes, that could be a good one. Yeah. Also, um, it's also good to like, you know, kind of stay humble, um, and stay curious because, you know, you don't want to be the guy who you don't, I mean, you you don't want to be the guy who thinks he has it all figured out. 
And I think that's another part of reaching out to people um, being you you definitely want to come across as curious, but you also uh, want to come across as passionate. Um, and that passion is infectious. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of like if you were to meet yourself, if you were a potential employer or a potential collaborator, what version of you would you want to meet and trying to be that, uh, for yourself and then also finding people who you trust and can relate to at a level that you feel comfortable having some of these more doubtful conversations because self-doubt is not, is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. You just need to know where and when to discuss it because it's not always good to lay everything out bare for everyone. You meet some people you want to have a more positive sort of interaction with some people you might want to sort of discuss some of these more darker or um, uncomfortable things with, but it's just a matter of also finding that filter and finding out who you can trust to have the deeper, more difficult conversations and who you kind of want to keep just at a sort of relationally spirited, simple and positive uh, arm's length kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're on your way and thanks again for reaching out. Let's definitely, part of our uh, advice to you and you know um yeah just keep at it believe in yourself and also if you have anyone if you ever want to follow up with us you can always call back or email us at help at graphic support com. we are available and sorry it took so long to get back to you but we are doing our best with the limited resources we have as well so we're not we're not <laughs> not perfect either as you can see thanks jeffrey So how do these people like that's what I'm always wondering is like the sustain like how do these people in these high positions who clearly aren't taking care of themselves who clearly have are putting so much pressure on themselves and everybody around them like how do they do this because for me if I have like two three days of that I'm like I basically should probably take a sick day like for the rest of the week you know what I mean yeah. like but the, but people who are in that flow like they don't do that like they just keep no. going like i'm just wondering like and do you think it, it eventually catches up with everyone or like well here's the thing is like if you are working at a company where the ceo doesn't sleep doesn't value health doesn't value uh time with your family or any of that stuff guess what they're gonna expect you to do the same thing but if you're working with people that are building even small businesses, it doesn't even have to be, you know, I know we're talking about meta and all that stuff, but <laughs> even people that run small businesses or small studios, like look at this, look at the boss. Okay. Does the boss come in, you know, from work, uh, does the, does the boss come into work, like, looking really healthy? Do they have their coffee in the morning? Like, do they have conversations um, with their kids in the middle of the day? Are they going in and out and meeting? Like, are they happy? Are they happy? If they're happy, then chances are they have a wealth of knowledge to spread to you so that you can also live a happy, creative lifestyle. It's very rare that I see... Um, you know, bosses or CEOs that are not taking care of themselves just assume that like other people 
are not going to want to do the same thing. <laughs> you know, like I'm suffering. So you got to suffer too. Yeah. Um, but you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, like there are people that like want to take care of themselves. I remember uh, one of my jobs, um, that I, I got fired from, but this one was kind of mutual. Like we knew, we knew the relationship was at the end of its course. Um, but I remember, uh, she was young, this young woman that started like a social media company and I spent a lunch with her just randomly one day we had lunch together and I just remember thinking like, you know, one day, like I want to be the kind of person that like can take my employees out to like a really nice fancy lunch because that's what she did for me. Like she showed me that that was possible and I just paid more and more attention to her lifestyle. Like she always looked really good. She, I remember she had an Equinox membership. Like she had a, a home chef that was taking care of herself. Like this person loved their life, but had a busy, successful business. So those moments, you know, like, even though I don't work for that person anymore, I probably would, would never work for them because I, that's just, it doesn't belong in my why anymore. Um, like those moments are so important to pay attention to, especially if you are somebody that's like working for other people, pay attention to the bosses, pay attention to leadership. Like, do they come in, um, stressed out all the time? Are they complaining? Do they have a bad attitude? Like that, sh those should be red flags to you. That's a red flag for the future of your relationship with, you know, this job. So it's all these little things. But like I said, like the biggest thing is that it is a relationship. You always have a choice. You can always leave. And chances are there's some, there's somebody out there that's way better. That's going to treat you so good because mm -hmm. you deserve to be treated well. I wanted to make a space to, share you know like one of your core values about decolonizing and so uh i want to take a moment and share some creatives you feel should be recognized in the canon of design and or current people oh, and or current people out. you you want to <laughs> shout out um oh my god there's so many you guys <laughs> <laughs> please don't kill me if i don't say your name <laughs> <laughs> everyone's gonna be like why didn't you shout me out yeah, we need yeah, to yeah. shout out the the student that you quoted earlier, James. Oh yeah, Monique Ortman. Um. <laughs> um, shout out to Fun Weirdo because um, when she was going through a similar situation, like it really inspired me to want to show up for other young people. So shout out to her, and she also did our logo. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna do a shout out to a friend of mine. Um, that I met through Hasis World, who's also an indigenous Mexican woman who's building this beauty line called SBJ Essentials mm -hmm. and um, creativepreneur, you know, t totally just like becoming in touch with her decolonized self. But we have like the most amazing deep conversations. And I feel like uh, our relationship is teaching me a lot about myself. And then I also want to shout out my my Portland besties, um, <laughs> Fran Batakis and Fabi Reyna, 
who have both been like a really integral part of um, me developing big world energy because I just really needed like women of color to bounce ideas mm -hmm. off of. And mm -hmm. they've, they've always been like really there for me and present. So I really Great. appreciate it. Great. Awesome. Thanks. Is there, is there anybody that you look to um, in the past too, like in like the canon that you, that you would like to kind of like, if they redid the Meg's history of graphic, who should be in there that isn't? This might be a hard question for you to answer, but like the future, you don't have to. Or, or like no, or, historical like, precedents, I guess. Yeah, or like people, or like even just ideas that you think. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Should should be taught in design programs. <sighs> um. Sorry to put you on the spot there, but no. <laughs> Uh, honestly, I'm on this like anti-design journey. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to see what the next generation does mm. for mm -hmm. design. Mm -hmm. And I'm cool. keeping my eyes out for that because mm -hmm. I used to think that it was going to happen with my generation. But then I realized that um, over time we weren't being radical enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm My brother's hoping always on me about that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really, really, I'm, I'm actually hopeful that the following generation that is doing all this decolonization work is going to come, mm -hmm. is going to come up with like a whole, something that we have not seen yet. Totally. So I'm putting it out there. All of y'all are in school <laughs> or that are not in school, you know, that are, that, you're on your journey and you're creating things like just put it out there. Yeah. It's really important for us. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, Oh, we didn't do the mantra. Oh yeah. We've been forgetting the mantra lately. Yeah. We so really... we usually have mantras, but we're wondering, I think, I think be I, yourself, I, I don't know. We've, I know. we've done that before. Find your why. Find, Find your, your why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I Maybe the episode's called yeah. Why. Yeah. Yeah. Big Why. Big Why. Maybe it should be Big Why Energy. Big Why Energy. <laughs> I know. But we did, we did World because, again, it's, like, related to my... It's like I'm a multi-passionate person, but I'm also, like, a multi-ethnic, multicultural person. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool because it attracts, like people from the same identity right yeah for sure is, yeah i guess i don't know maybe some i'm doing something right visually yeah, <laughs> yeah totally we're totally into the graphics um yeah that was that was like a whole nother conversation we were like oh, i don't know if we have time for it but i i'm an open book yeah thanks again <laughs> thanks again we'll yeah, definitely have to we'll, we'll definitely be in touch and i think a collaboration should definitely take place yeah Graphic Support Group is created by James Che and Drew Litowitz. The Meditations and Hotline are voiced by Elizabeth Leeper. Editing by James and Drew. Cover art and graphics by Drew Litowitz. Our theme music is by Marble Rye. Thank you for your support and listenership. Please stay tuned for new episodes and updates through our Substack. Follow us on social media at graphic underscore support underscore group on Instagram and email us at help at graphicsupportgroup.com. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. 
Every review helps in spreading the word about this podcast and allows us to continue making a space for open conversations in the design world.